Hello, I'm Angus Scott and welcome once again to The Debrief. It's great to have you with us. We're here every week discussing the big footballing talking points. Last week, it was Kylian Mbappe. This week, it's his former teammate, Lionel Messi. Just what effect has the World Cup winning captain had on the MLS since his move to Inter-Miami this summer? Stand by as we get into the detail behind that Messi move the clever planning of David Beckham, and how the MLS may have changed forever. We'll also bring you the latest from the transfer world as the transfer guru Fabrizio Romano will be here, as he is every week, to give us his spin on the market. Ben Jacobs is, of course, with me as ever. Ben, you're still enjoying the US sunshine as you crisscross North America (laughs) on Chelsea's pre-season tour. Yeah, 35 degrees. This time I'm with you from Washington and we're really international because, of course, Jimmy's in Sydney. So this is the most international debrief we've done to date. I think you're right. Well, that Jimmy you allude to is the US men's team international turned pundit Jimmy Conrad on our show. Jimmy, thanks for joining us from down under. Listen, Angus, I could I could. uh, Your voice is amazing. That's just what I want to say. And uh, it's an honor to be here and obviously to, to talk shop with you and Ben. Is a big thrill. Okay, let's get into it. That's very kind of you to say that. But what about uh, Lionel Messi? What has his impact been on the MLS for you? Well, I think it's immeasurable in a lot of different ways because it's going to help grow the game on the fields, off the fields. And I don't know if we're really going to be able to really take into account how much of an impact he's going to have on the league overall until maybe five years out, ten years out where you can see kind of the fingerprints that he put on just his mere presence. Now, I was playing in the league when David Beckham arrived, so I have a really good idea of what it could look like and the ripple effects that, that him coming here, Messi that is, could have on the continued evolution of MLS and hopefully the loosening of some of the rules that they have been married to for a long time because it feels archaic. And it needs to grow from that. And, and sometimes I feel like the rules, and, and I bet you some of the new owners that have invested hundreds of millions of dollars are feeling the same way. Like, Let us have these handcuffs come off so we can actually spend and do the things that we want to do. And I think the arrival of, of Leo Messi will start to move that needle in that direction. So I'm excited. I'm very curious to hear what you guys have to say about it as well. But for me, it's, it's all positive, And I don't see any negatives to this, this at all. Well, it's been a terrific start as well, Ben. You look at it, the debut, the winning free kick, the timing of it all. It's all pretty fairy tale stuff. Yeah, it feels more like a computer game than reality. (laughs) (laughs) Makes his debut, looks like they're not going to win the game. Injury time, scores an absolute worldie. And then in the second game, he was on course for a hat-trick before he was substituted and he got two goals and an assist in that. And this, for me, is not about... Lionel Messi and how many goals he scores. It's about the cultural impact. It's about the professional impact. And it's about the financial impact. And these are the three areas, really, that are going to benefit not just MLS, but I think wider soccer. And we're going to see through Messi a different prism. And one thing that North America has, which I think is going to be really beneficial, is obviously a very cosmopolitan demographic. So there's an established football culture There's the Hispanic community who obviously are going to be very much behind Messi, which means that you don't just get into North America, you get into Central and South America as well. And then on top of that, we're going to see a connection between MLS 
and everything else, which is things like the Club World Cup, which is coming to North America, the World Cup, which is coming to America. And this is what interests me, Jimmy, because if I think back to USA 94, there was nothing afterwards, really. And then Beckham arrived, and of course there was fanfare. But again, MLS didn't necessarily elevate, nor was there that connection between everything soccer and, for example, a World Cup or the arrival of David Beckham. Now, for me, I don't know if you agree, Messi feels like the focal point that might just connect everything soccer-wise in North America. Yeah, I agree that he's going to have... Well, at least he makes us a water cooler topic. I think when David Beckham came in, you could feel that, like my mom's friends were reaching out to ask, you know, what David Beckham was doing. My mom's friends don't care about the sport at all. But you, when you, when you start to get into that area and people paying attention that normally don't, now you know that you've moved the needle, that you've got their attention. To your point, what can we do or what could we have done back then to help accelerate that process? What other competitions were out there that were going to elevate the league and, and to elevate the game and to help it grow, not only in that moment in MLS, but also the inf infrastructure underneath it. When I was at that time, when Beckham was there, there was no youth academies. There was no infrastructure to also gain that type of momentum and interest at that level. And so, yes, it's, it's with Messi coming at this particular time. And so fair play to, to, to Jorge Mas and David Beckham for, for getting him to come and for him to turning down a billion dollars to go to Saudi Arabia. And I'm sure there's, we could have a whole podcast just on that alone and just the impact of, of Saudi's influence as well. But with Messi coming, and now you have Copa America coming next summer. Following that, you have the Club World Cup, as you mentioned. And then you have the Men's World Cup in 2026. I can't think of a better runway for Messi's arrival and then all these other things following it to continue to maintain that interest to continue to educate what makes and why this sport is so special so yes i'm thrilled now i just am kind of bummed i'm thrilled that pretty much 99 of it and i'm bummed that i'm not still playing because i would love to have a crack at messi <laughs> i've seen some of the defenders and they are not great i feel like defending's a lost art and i feel like uh i would have at least given him more of a challenge than what i've seen so far there are plenty of people in Europe who are still trying to chase him at the moment. True, you know, true, they, true, they, true. They, they've spent 15 years chasing him around a pitch and still haven't got got hold of him. Just look at Manchester United in a, in a Champions League final. You know, it's um, it, it was tough for them. I just want you know you mention all those things, uh, Jimmy. It's everything that is lined up seemingly in place, but can the US and the MLS really capitalize on it like never before? Where there was perhaps a missed opportunity in 94. Maybe things could have got better after David Beckham in a more substantial way. But this time, everything there is aligned for the US and the MLS to come out of this a whole lot stronger on a, in the soccer football perspective. For me, it feels more of a credibility play. When David Beckham came, he brought some credibility to the league. What we saw, I was playing on a different team than him at, with the Galaxy, but we would hear some of the things that he was asking for. He would be in that locker room and be like, that is, that is unprofessional. Like, that can't happen. If, if you want to be considered a professional team in a professional league, this has to change. These are the standards. I've seen it at multiple clubs. I've played for the biggest clubs in the world. This has to change. And the Galaxy, to their credit, said, you're right, and we're going to fix that. And so all the other teams started to hear what was happening with the Galaxy. They're like, wait a second, if they're going to get treated like that, then we should be getting treated like that as well. And so that's really where the players union started to grow and get a little bit more robust. And you start to saw, you started to see, excuse me, more organization and more communication happening between the players that, that 
we should have better things and we should be treated a little bit better. And I feel like Messi's going to now take that to the next step and, and make sure that that professionalism continues to grow and get maintained. And I think we're seeing that. And, and then obviously with a few CBAs and, and stuff that's happened between the league and the players, we're working towards that and that, that standard that I think Beckham wanted immediately. Now, when I think about Messi and the credibility standpoint, he's going to attract other players to want to come here. We've already seen it, right? Sergio Busquets, does he come to enter Miami without Messi there? I don't know. Then you have Jordi Alba coming, Luis Suarez, and now you've seen all these names. Yes, they're a little bit older than the wrong side of 30, but they're starting to look at MLS as a viable opportunity for them to go and to live and to see out their careers. Now, I know that the league is trying to lose that tag of being a retirement league. I think that China overtook us for a little while in that. And now Saudi Arabia is starting to move in that territory. I mean, for me, any anytime I want to come back to somebody who calls MLS a retirement league was Zlatan Ibrahimovic came over. And then he left to go to the other retirement league, Serie A, and, you know, had a, had a fantastic <laughs> career helping AC Milan win, win a Scudetto, you know, for the first time in a while. So, so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different examples. But I do think that. Messi brings this type of X factor, cool factor that the league was lacking for a while. And, and I think that credibility, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this too, will help attract even younger players, right? I think that Tata Martino and Inter Miami can now go attract younger South Americans that want to come get a taste of what it's like. The hard part is, and this is where you're kind of going, Angus, is what happens when Messi leaves? When his two and a half yeah. year deal is over, how do you maintain that momentum? And I do think we have these external tournaments that can help the league grow, right? Uh, for me, I'm a firm believer that a rising tide lifts all boats. So, but, but what can the league do to maintain that? And if you can attract some top young talent to also come and see the league as, as a destination, then that's, that's again, it's all positives. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, to how it all transpires and evolves throughout his time here. Yeah, look, Ben, there's been an immediate impact. You, look, you just look at the socials on Inter Miami and how the numbers have increased. And what are the sort of finan- the immediate financials that, that Inter Miami have, uh, have got by signing Messi? Well, as you say, the socials are unbelievable. And this is evidence that the modern football fan, particularly the young football fan, is following individuals. And Messi, Ronaldo, they're anomalies, but we see it a little bit with the likes of maybe an Ibrahimovic when he was playing, and certainly Karim Benzema going to Saudi Arabia. So millions of followers were added straight after Messi was even unofficially announced, because remember, he did an interview confirming that he wasn't going to Barcelona and that he would be joining Inter Miami. And long before it was announced, the following of Inter Miami was close to 8 million, which is incredible. And that made into Miami, the most followed Miami sports team, which is an underrated point, because let's not forget, you got the Miami Heat there, who are absolutely massive in the NBA. And they had about 7 million followers. And before Messi even arrived, into Miami had more. And that is unbelievable. And then on top of that, you look at the impact of the club. And obviously, you have to offset various things because there are outgoing salary in particular. So Messi's being paid about 150 million US dollars over the course of the next two years. And there's support from the league itself and Apple, who are the official broadcaster, are also part of a package on offer to Messi. And effectively, he gets equity. So every time there are these passes to watch the MLS, 
Messi gets a little bit of a cut. So it's very incentive driven. And if we go back to the Beckham deal, there were parallels there where he was obviously given the opportunity to start a franchise. And now he started that franchise. So we should connect Beckham to Messi because obviously Beckham is the Inter Miami owner. And therefore, if Beckham hadn't come to MLS, we probably wouldn't be here now because Inter Miami wouldn't exist in this form. And obviously Lionel Messi wouldn't be there, Busquets and Alba as well. And then when you go to actually what Inter Miami can make, we've seen insane numbers, a 4,500% increase in merchandise sales, ticket sales are up by 1,200%. And not only are they up in terms of demand and sellouts, but the prices can continue to go up and up. And the estimation from Inter Miami's perspective is that they could sell up to 2 million jerseys. And in MLS, even though it's perhaps not as advanced as the Premier League, the prices are still high. And this is something in terms of merchandising, in terms of commercial growth, in terms of fan engagement that America's always been better at than Europe. So we can talk about Inter Miami and MLS and it growing to try and catch up with the European leagues. But for fan engagement, for stadium experiences, for merchandise, it's always been better. And as a consequence, the prices are quite high. So a Inter Miami jersey, I think, is around 150 US dollars. And if you're selling 2 million of them, then that ability to cash in on Messi is quite high. And in the Premier League, we don't put that much onus on shirt sales. But in MLS, if you get that spike of 2 million shirt sales, then that makes a massive difference in terms of the growth of the club and then what you can do with that money. So then it's about, as Jimmy said originally, investing it back in youth, investing it back in infrastructure, because Messi will go one day. So how are you going to spend that money that you make off Messi to make sure that there's a Messi legacy, whether it's in attracting other players or whether it's ultimately in building infrastructure? And how are you going to benefit grassroots sport in North America to make sure that it isn't just about fanfare and star names and bums on seats? It's actually about something tangible that means that in the next however many years, U.S. soccer at all levels in men and women's sport continues to grow. Well, as Ben's been explaining, that deal to bring Messi to the MLS was extremely complex. Remember, he turned down, as Jimmy was saying, a billion dollars to go to Saudi Arabia. So into Miami needed to be clever in the way they attracted the Argentine to the States. Well, our transfer guru Fabrizio Romano is with us now. So Fabrizio, how did the Messi deal to Miami come about? It was the perfect strategy, I think, from Inter Miami. Uh, and the key word, I think, was relax. They were always very relaxed about this story. Of course, it was a big dream for David Beckham and for all the people at Inter Miami to bring Leo Messi to MLS. But they've been perfect in the strategy because they were always relaxed and they were making Leo Messi feel relaxed about this story. While we had lot of crazy rumors from Barcelona and same from Saudi with these proposals coming from uh, Saudi and of course from Barca <clears throat> to make it happen in the summer. Inter Miami already in September, in October, when they knew about the possibility 
of Leo Messi being a free agent in summer 2023, they started to speak to Leo Messi's side, to his father, Jorge, and to tell them, whenever you want, if it's going to be summer 23 or maybe one year after, or whenever Leo wants, we are ready to welcome him and we have a plan for him. So that kind of approach, I think at the end of the story, was crucial to make Leo uh, feel not just important as he is, but also relaxed about the negotiation and to understand that at Inter-Miami that was probably something different, not just for him, but also for his family. This made the difference because around the very confused situation at Barcelona because of the financial fair play situation and the big proposal from Saudi, not really attractive for uh, Leo for different kind of point of views, that's why he decided to pick Inter Miami. And, and is there a possibility that Messi, I mean, he has a two and a half year contract, but Messi plays at the 2026 World Cup in the US? Let's see. I think this is something that he will not decide now, so I will keep that open. Uh, when it's about players like Leo Messi, we have to to wait and see until the end. Of course, Lionel Scaloni, Argentina coach, is still hoping for that. He told multiple times to Leo that he hopes for the possibility to have Messi in the squad for the next World Cup. But again, this is not something decided now, so I think it will take some time. Let's see how Messi will arrive uh, in one or two years when it's going to be time to prepare for the new World Cup. So there is hope in the Argentina coaching staff, but it's not something guaranteed at this stage. And after this contract in into Miami, is Saudi Arabia ruled out? Is that a possibility? I would not rule anything out, honestly. At this point, uh, I'm very honest with you. I, I have no idea because Messi has not discussed anything with his father or with his lawyers, people he, he trusts for, for the future. He's very happy to be in Miami, so I think he's not even thinking about what's next. He's very happy there and he believes this is the perfect step for him now. Then we will see. we will see in the future. And did Busquets, Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba join into Miami specifically because of Lionel Messi? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. Uh, then let me clarify that Sergio Busquets already two years ago was approached by Inter Miami. So they had a plan for uh, Sergio Busquets since long time to attract him, to have the possibility to bring him to Inter Miami. They believe he's perfect player for his style on and off the pitch to represent Inter Miami and to represent MLS football. So they really wanted him. They tried to tempt also uh, Sergio Busquets one year ago, but it was almost impossible because Xavi wanted Sergio Busquets to be a crucial part of his project at Barcelona. And Xavi tried to keep uh, Sergio Busquets at Barcelona for one more season also this summer but it was not possible because Busquets wanted this kind of, of opportunity and of course having Leo Messi there made the difference to pick uh, to pick Inter Miami also because Saudi clubs offered incredible money to Sergio Busquets but he wanted to, to join Inter Miami and to be together with Leo Messi so he made the difference and in the case of Jordi Alba I think in that case he made 95% different, difference to, to join Inter Miami because he had two proposals from Saudi very important ones too but then when Leo called Jordi Alba was impossible to say no and immediately accepted Inter Miami. Any other big names expected to go to the MLS? Let's see. I think this is going to be interesting. First of all, I think this guy they signed uh, from Argentina, uh, Facundo Farias, is a very talented striker. It's not a normal signing. This is a very good signing because, okay, there are uh, stars like Messi, Jordi Alba uh, and uh, Sergio Busquets, but you need to prepare the future. And Farias is a very interesting player, was also in the list of some Italian clubs, some Spanish clubs. So to go to Inter Miami, I think this is a very interesting move for the for the World League, showing that they can still attract these kind of players now having Leo Messi in uh, in the league. And then I will keep an eye on, uh, on Luis Suarez. 
Emirates. This is not for the summer because uh, he's not joining Inter Miami now. He's staying at Gremio. He decided to respect his contract at Gremio, but to cut his contract. It was going to extend in summer, sorry, in December 24, and then he's going to change the terms of the contract and he's going to be a free agent in December 23, so in a few months. I think at that point, if he stays fit and if he feels that he's ready to continue playing football, I think he will go to Inter Miami to join his big friend, Leo Messi. Let's talk about some of the uh, American names that are, are being thrown around at the moment. Someone like Follerin Balogun at, at Arsenal. Uh, Inter still interested? And, and what sort of price might Arsenal sell for? It seems to be Inter are going to put a complicated deal to uh, Yeah, North it's London. difficult. It's difficult. And it's exactly about the asking price because from what I'm hearing, uh, Balogun is the favourite option in Inter list to replace Romero Lukaku, who is not staying at the club. So they want Balogun. They believe, especially into the club, uh, people into the club, the directors, they think that he's the perfect striker for present and future of the club. But it's not easy to reach an agreement with Arsenal because Inter were hoping to strike a deal for something around 35 million euros. But this is clearly not enough at the moment to convince Arsenal. It's also true that the player wants to leave. He respects Arsenal, of course. He, he loves Arsenal, but he wants to go to play football uh, on a regular basis. He wants to be an important player into his next club. And this is why Inter are still hopeful. Inter are still keeping contact with uh, the players' camp but still no agreement with Arsenal. So let's wait, let's see. I think now Winter are focused on Jan Sommer uh, as new goalkeeper. They have different priorities, but then in the next days they could reach out again to, to Arsenal to try to, to find an agreement for Balogun. Balogun is the option number one, and Gianluca Scamacca is the option number two from West Ham. And the other part of uh, Milan, uh, uh, Milan um, is Yunus Moussa uh, done now? It looks like he's, he's ready to choose his number in the squad. Yeah, it's a done deal. It's a done deal since Sunday. They agreed on every single detail of the deal. It's going to be a 20 million euros package, 18 million euros guaranteed, plus two in a dons to Valencia. Now, what happens? Valencia and Milan are exchanging documents, so it's time to check all the contracts, sign the contracts, and then the deal will be completed. So from what I'm hearing, Musa has a chance to arrive in Milano tomorrow night, on Tuesday night, or it could be Wednesday morning, but they're still trying to fix some some detail, but it's just a matter of days, and then Yunus Musa will sign a five-year deal as the new Milan player. He also attracted some interest from Premier League because there were three Premier League clubs interested, also one German club, but he wanted to play Champions League football. He wanted to join Milan, and now the deal is almost completed. And another US player, uh, Gagas Lenina, he played for Chelsea uh, the other day against Fulham, but will he be loaned out yeah, I think yes. I think yes, because they're very happy at Chelsea, including the coaching staff of Mauricio Pochettino with Donina. The impact has been very good. He's a very talented boy, very serious boy. So uh, his hard work has been really appreciated by the coaching staff. But they also know that when you are that young, as Donina is super young, it's important to play, it's important to make an experience uh, outside and so that's why they are trying to find the best deal for Slonina from what I'm hearing there is a very advanced conversation with Eupen the Belgian club to loan Slonina there for one season so it's just about some details to be discussed on player side but for Chelsea that's okay they just want Slonina to play regular football and they believe this could be the perfect opportunity for him so the conversation is very advanced let's see if they will complete the deal this week or if some other club will try to enter the race but I see Eupen as favourites to land Gaga Slonina and what about some other deals in England? What about Raya to Arsenal? Are there any bid there yet? Not bid, no bid yet. Uh, let's wait what happens in the next hours or days. But while we are speaking, no bid yet. They had contacts, Arsenal, with the agents of the Raya. What happened is that 
on a Sunday, there was a meeting between the agents of Ryan and Bayern, and the bid from Bayern was a loan deal with a buy option close. This is something that the player doesn't want. The player wants to move on permanent transfer or with some guarantee to become uh, an important player for the club in the future. And Bayern were not able to offer that guarantee. Also, to do the loan deal, they he had to extend the contract with Brentford. And this is something that at the moment David Raya doesn't want to do. So that's why the deal with Bayern is now complicated and almost collapsed. Then we never know in football. But Arsenal had positive contacts on the player side. They believe that David Raya wants the move. So he prefers Arsenal over Bayern as next destination. Now it's important to understand how much Arsenal want to invest on the goalkeeper if Matt Turner will go to Nottingham Forest because this is kind of goalkeeper's domino with Sommer to Inter, with Matt Turner to Forest, with Arsenal and David Raya, with Bayern looking for new goalkeeper uh, with the bonus also in the list from, uh, from Sevilla. So the domino is starting, but this week I think is going to be crucial to understand how it will be completed. Well, Manchester United, we've discussed it in previous weeks. Uh, Hoyland looks like um, that's over the line. What about Amrabat to Manchester United? Is that a possibility? Yeah, it's a possibility. Still waiting for an official bid to Fiorentina. I think now for my United first step has to be to sign all the documents of the Holland deal but it's done and then to sell some player uh, Fred will leave the club this summer 100% it's just waiting uh, to pick the favourite destination and then he will leave Manchester United Donny van de Beek has this possibility with Real Sociedad but still nothing agreed so it's important to see when these two players will leave the club and I think right after May United will enter into concrete conversations with Fiorentina they already spoke to player side so with the agents the camp of Sonia Amrabat so I think this is going to be the next big target for Manchester United after uh, Rasmus Hoyland is going to be Sofia Amrabat. And finally, Fabrizio, we always talk about um, Moises Caicedo. A uh, Chelsea given up? I mean, it seems that Brighton are sticking their heels in and they want the price that they think he's worth. And when Declan Rice went for a 105, they're thinking it's got to be three figures. It's got to be 100 million for Caicedo. Yeah, but Chelsea are not giving up from what I'm hearing. I know over the weekend we heard rumours of a deal almost collapsed or deal off. I'm told that this is not the case, at least today. Then let's see in the next days how the conversation with Brighton will continue. But Chelsea are still trying, for sure. Then let's wait, let's see. But Chelsea are still working on the Caicedo deal. Fabrizio, as ever, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Fabrizio, as fascinating as ever. But Jimmy, one question uh, I think to put to you, is, and, and you mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, it's interesting that Cristiano Ronaldo's in Saudi Arabia and... Lionel Messi is in the MLS. So how does that affect, uh, uh, does it push the MLS further above Saudi, do you think? Because clearly we've seen a huge play by the Saudis and the Saudi Pro League. But ultimately, you feel that, that Messi is just, and certainly having won the World Cup, the timing couldn't have been better, the bigger player. And if, the if I strip big, away what you're aspect. asking here, Angus, it feels more like a Messi versus Ronaldo question. I'm just going to hop <laughs> well, in there. And I'm, who, I'm and who do I prefer? Make it, yeah, well, I'm trying not to make it that, but maybe, maybe you know, who, who is the bigger, you know, if, if Messi's got 480 million followers or whatever it is, you know, but, but who does, who, who, his weight, either side, who, who makes it a better league? You know, does this make the MLS league a better league um, than, than a Saudi league? I think that MLS probably already has a more mature infrastructure than Saudi. I think it's already more competitive, has a more established identity with all due respect to what Saudi Arabia is building. They're clearly throwing a lot of money at a lot of different players and getting players at a relatively young age. I think that Ruben Neves from Wolves is, what, 28 years old and still somewhat in the prime of his career playing for the Portuguese national team. So it was an interesting move for him in particular to go. But 
he made it pretty clear that uh, his number one team is his family. And we got to respect that. And, and uh, so if he got that opportunity to do it, he's going to. I think that a lot of players, when, when you go over to Europe, if you talk to any European base players that haven't been around MLS, they're asking a lot of questions about what MLS is about. A lot of players want to live in the States. I think that Messi, at least for the time he went grocery shopping at Publix, that he had that moment of like being somewhat normal that he couldn't ever enjoy anywhere else. I think that is now long gone. I think that's uh, he had that one week of maybe being normal, <laughs> and now it's going to be a little bit harder for him. But Thierry Henry, when he was playing in MLS, he could walk down the streets of New York, and maybe a handful of people would recognize him if he was walking for 20, 30 minutes. But for the most part, he'd get left alone. And I think there's an appeal to that for a lot of players, as well as raising a family in the States and everything there. I don't get that same sense from Saudi Arabia. I get the sense that you're there. You're going to make a buttload of money. And then you're going to want to move on and go live and finish off whatever or in retirement somewhere else. Whereas I think the MLS could be a destination in a lot of different ways. But yeah, so I think there it's apples and oranges a little bit, but there's a lot of money being thrown around by both. And when you have Ronaldo and Messi who can garner that type of salary and, and all the attention and every and acclaim that comes with it and the credibility, as I was mentioning before, I think Messi moves the needle a little bit more. I think that for whatever reason, people are more... I don't know. It's here. I'll say it like this. Ronaldo for me is the, is the, is the player that I think we should be more in tune with the, the, the average person, because he used to be some skinny guy with terrible teeth and crazy looking <laughs> hair. And, and he, he turned himself into a world-class athlete and did it and maintained it for years and years and years and years. And that is yeah. something that feels like, Hey, if we put ourselves and sacrificed enough and suffered enough, we, we could also get to that point. But Messi just is just dropped out of outer space and the guy's just magic and always has been. And I got the chance to play against him and it's ridiculous how good the guy is and how quick he is. And we can't really be that, right? We can maybe, maybe I'm saying maybe around Ronaldo, but like work towards building ourselves up and trying to maintain that. Whereas Messi just got dropped out of nowhere. And, but whatever reason, I think people are, they want to be messy. I want to be messy, messy. I, I I'm a messy over Ronaldo guy for sure. And so when I think about the impact he's going to have, though Ronaldo would have helped in some ways in the States, having Messi here, I think, is going to make a bigger difference. And I think what Ben said earlier was smart about not only taps into North America, but it also taps into Central America and South America because of his Latino base. And, and yeah, because he can speak Spanish, and Spanish is obviously his first language. And, and I just think that's going to tie a lot of things in together. Not to say that Ronaldo couldn't, but there's just something really special about Messi. And something even more than Beckham. Beckham had that celebrity factor. We're already seeing that with Inter Miami and all the stars that are coming to their early games, LeBron James in particular, Kim Kardashian. Like, what? Going to MLS games? Is, what's even <laughs> happening? But, but, and Ronaldo would do the same thing. But when I think about Messi and, and what he continues to do, I think that he's going to be playing at a higher level for longer than Ronaldo, who I already can see. You can already see the decline with him a little bit. And Beckham was always a little bit more of like a, he creates the game for other players and maybe the odd free kick. But I just think that there's a really long way of me saying that I think Messi's going to move the needle a lot more. Yeah. I, I probably could have shortened that up by like a minute and a half <laughs> hey, for it. That, that's the beauty of your podcast. If we had our own TV Thanks program, we'd be, <laughs> we'd be throwing in our commercials now, but it's fine. Um, you, you can say it at length. And I think, Ben, you know, what Jimmy's saying is look, you've got a player who's supported by Apple, who's supported by Adidas. You know, these are major multinational companies turning over billions of dollars, investing and making sure that this project works and that A, that it could happen, then B, that it, that it works. 
Yeah, and I think that Apple is really interesting, but also the move to actually focus on North America building up to a World Cup, Club World Cup, is also relevant. Because if you look at the landscape of North American soccer, we've been banging on for the last five years, if not more, about US talent coming to Europe. And we've been celebrating that. And Christian Pulisic is one example, particularly when he went to Chelsea and there's many others now. And every time we see an American player in the Champions League, we've said, wow, look how many of them there are. And then on the business side, it's been that gravitation of US owners to the Premier League, the Glazers at Manchester United who are not popular and might be outgoing, Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital at Chelsea, John Textor, Crystal Palace was one, of course. And we've also seen 49ers Enterprises come in at Leeds United. So there's a whole list and half the Premier League now has got US owners. Then flip it back to Messi and MLS. And suddenly we're maybe seeing a shift now where MLS is looking after MLS and American soccer is looking after American soccer in the same way, basically, that Saudi Arabia is saying, why do we have to focus on buying into brands in Europe? Why do we have to bow down to the so-called big five European leagues and do everything there? Why can't we bring a little bit of football back to us and a little bit of star power back to us and then see how many brands are interested and see how soccer snowballs from there? And if it works then what you're going to get is an established culture and infrastructure that's maybe better than the Premier League on the commercial side, on the fan engagement side. And if you add that little bit of stardust, you're suddenly in a position where people are going to be turning their heads. So it's a very interesting business model. But what it needs is unity. What it needs is a lack of politics getting in the way. And I think that we've always seen that a little bit in North America when, for example, the International Champions Cup came over, which was a pre-season tournament. The European teams that came over were at odds a little bit with the MLS clubs who wanted a slice of the pie and the infrastructure didn't really allow everybody to work together. And on top of that, you've got the competition between sports. So the Premier League's lucky. Everybody knows that football in England is the biggest sport. You're not turning around and being worried about a basketball game or even a cricket game or a rugby match. Whereas over in North America, if you're in Miami, you've got to think about Miami Heat. And if you're in other parts of the world, which are defined sporting cities, if you're the football team there, you have to be aware of when your basketball team is playing and when your football team is playing American football, that is, and so on. So there is some buy-in to get a kind of collective backing. And when Messi is there, I think it really helps because everybody is aware that it's exciting, that it's unified. And Jimmy, I think, made an interesting point about the Messi versus Ronaldo. And my opinion is that it will work. And I don't know whether you want to add Angus or Jimmy to this, but it will succeed because Messi's perfect for North America. And Ronaldo is actually perfect for Saudi Arabia because Ronaldo is a little bit more of a personality off the field. And when he does the CU, I'm not even going to attempt to <laughs> move my hands or jump from my bar stool on this hotel kitchen where I'm sitting. But when he does that, the whole of the Arabic world are like, wow. And he pulls in an audience there. And similarly, Messi does his talking with his feet. And that pulls in the Hispanic audience. It obviously, therefore, caters, as we've already said, to not just North America, but South and Central America, too. So... They feel like they've both ended up 
in a perfect landing spot. So for me, it's not about Messi or Ronaldo. It's about the fact that Messi is ideal to elevate MLS and all of football beyond. And Ronaldo has been perfect to start a snowball effect in Saudi Arabia. So now we're seeing for the first time, in my opinion, the legacy. Because if we go back to the Pele's and Maradona's, the legacy is spoken about. The legacy is in some video clips. The legacy is in charitable foundations. The legacy is in the fact that they redefine football. But we haven't seen as much of a commercial legacy and an infrastructure legacy, which is just down to ultimately the fact that football wasn't the same as it is now. So I, I think... Know, well, I th- yeah, when you say that, Ben, I, I think, look at part of the deal for Messi, is it not, is he's he's getting shares effectively in the club itself. There's no reason at the end of his two-and-a-half-year deal that he can't stay and be a part of the MLS, cannot continue to be a part of into Miami if he sees that um, as one of his interests going forward. So uh, that will be, I would have thought, part of David Beckham's um, task over the coming years, over the time of his contract, to actually keep him involved in the club. If we're saying that Inter Miami is going to be a club that even now may be worth a billion dollars or in the near future, by the time his contract runs out, is somewhere between a billion and a billion and a half dollars, which is just unheard of in in MLS terms. I mean, that's ridiculous figures. Then why wouldn't you try and keep him for longer than those two and a half years so that he is integral, so that he has and in the perfect spot in Miami, which is so Hispanic, that he has that influence continually over South America, over Middle America and North America. Um, I, I think you just you just keep him for as long as you can. Well, I'll jump in there really quick because I think that as much as David Beckham looks like a genius for having a clause in his contract that he first signed that he can get a MLS team when he's done for $25 million, there's also the other side of that where MLS continues to have David Beckham in the family. They have a tether to David Beckham. David Beckham is still a global icon and can move and open different doors in the sport, a la getting a Messi to come join his MLS team. So I think there was some genius on both sides with that. And I think by giving shares to Leo Messi in the team, you continue to get that tether. Imagine if you're a young kid, you're coming up through South America, and, and okay, Leo Messi's not playing anymore, he's retired, but I still want to play for his club. At, by the time he's done, they're going to have a brand-new facility brand new stadium everything's going to be on the up and up so i can understand why that valuation for the club will be closer to a billion dollars when that's all said and done not only Messi's impact but i'm sure building that stadium is trying to get done as fast as possible because they definitely want to get Messi playing in one or two games before his time is over if that thing is not built but what he's doing especially in miami and south florida is he's making it a destination for place to go Once they build that stadium, it's also going to be not only for players, international games. There's going to be a whole different different things that he's going to bring in and and expose people to during his time with Inter Miami. And I think that is is going to be the impact in the immediate future and then that long-term impact because MLS will always have a tether to him. And I think it's really smart to give him shares in the team. Clearly, he's had an immediate impact, Lionel Messi. I think our question is, what's the ongoing impact, isn't it? How long can it last? What what will the ultimate effect be? You started this show, Jimmy, by saying we want the rules, some of those rules, to be uh, changed um, that, that that don't work at the moment. Just just tell us a couple of of how the messy influence might help that come about. 
Well, when David Beckham first arrived, there was no designated player rule, which is for those that are unaware of how MLS works. I'm sure Ben and I can laugh and have a few beers about how complicated it can be at times. But there was no player that you could just go out and buy that didn't fall under the salary cap. So they created this designated player rule to allow Beckham to only hit a salary cap, I think, at like three or 400000 And then they could pay him whatever he wants. And over time, that went from one team or one player per team being allowed to be paid that to now I think there's three or four designated player spots that you can have. And now there's youth designated player spots. So there's all this evolution. And, and uh, I'll just call it what it is, just changing the rules as they see fit <laughs> to make sure teams are competitive or whatever it may be. And so when I bring up that, that rule, I think that there are a lot of owners in this league that don't want to have a salary cap anymore. But what's interesting is when you talk to European-based owners that have teams over there that sometimes the spending is getting out of control and, and financial fair play is a bit of a joke anyway, that they do want a salary cap because they want it to be a little bit more competitive. So there's this weird kind of Europe kind of wants the American model. The American model wants a little bit of Europe. And I wonder where that's going to be once the dust settles. But I think that Messi's going to have to because you can't have – Inter-Miami's the worst team in MLS right now. I know he's won a couple of League Cup games, which is a different competition – but they're the worst team. And for them to be competitive, they're going to need to make sure that they can circumvent the rules and build him a team that's going to be successful. You don't want Messi to be on the worst team in the league. That's not going to be a good look for anybody. It's not going to be a good look for Messi or for MLS. So they need his team to be competitive. And I think when they figure that out or just get rid of some of these rules or raise the salary cap, and if for the teams that don't want to spend, they have to have a, a, a floor. There's got to be a bottom that they have to spend a minimum of 10 or 15 million a year and they can have a ceiling of 30. Now you're starting to get into a space where I think owners will feel like we can be more competitive. There's a little bit of room here. If Philadelphia Union, who are notorious for, for developing in their youth academy, want to do that, fair play to them. That's their identity and that's their style and that's fine. But if Inter Miami want to come in and spend the 30 to 40 million to get a, a, a team that's more, you know, Real Madrid buying the Galacticos and getting all the big names, then that should be their style and that should be fine. And right now, MLS doesn't really allow for any of that. And I think that needs to be loosened a little bit. There, there's all these rules. I don't even want to bore our, the listeners, man. There's TAM and there's GAM and there's all this, you know, U22 initiatives. And it's just, it's so crazy and it's just so much more complicated than it needs to be. And I think if you're a casual fan, that could be a real big turnoff as well. So I think they need to simplify the rules, raise the salary cap, and just make it a little bit easier for owners to go out there and spend. So that Because we're in the entertainment business, right? Yeah, sports and, and being competitive on the field is, is, is important, of course. And you want to win. Winning trophies is always going to get butt, butts in the seats or bums in the seats. I love that. I'm going to use that, that Ben said. <laughs> but, but also we're in the entertainment business. So, so you still want to make sure you're putting out a product that people want to come and see and and – for some of the owners that have been around from the very beginning, I understand that they have propped up the league for a long time, but they need to get on board because this league is going somewhere. And if they don't want to be a part of this new version of it, then they should sell their team. I said it. I said it. I put it out there. I said it. <laughs> You've done it. Well, let, let, let the capital market take over. You know, that's, that's where it, you know, you, you cannot uh, falsify the market. Otherwise you don't have direct competition really. And then you restrict. Um, and if, if, as we've seen in the UK, some teams go bust. Then you know that that's the way you run your club, and you know you you you've got to come round and work out a, a legitimate financial argument to to get it going and and work out the business plan for each individual club. I just wonder, Ben. Look, you're you're over in the states with with Chelsea at the moment. How much of a sense do you get in the country? 
that that suddenly this the MLS is in a, a serious player that that Messi has turned up the focus once again uh, on on US soccer. Well, I think that Messi's debut shows the interest in Messi, but not necessarily MLS. So that's the challenge that if Messi doesn't play in a game or if Messi was to leave in a few years, where is the league? And this is the key question around legacy. And this, again, is where the clubs and the league and the commercial partners will have to work together because it's obvious that there's buzz and interest, but it's all around Messi. So if you get a game between two teams and Messi's not involved, what kind of audience does that get? And the smartness of how Apple work is it's an MLS pass. So there are options where you can just buy and follow one team, but the hope is quite clearly that you buy the MLS pass and then everybody gets a cut and then they get an increased audience for matches that are not involving Lionel Messi. And we'll have to obviously wait and see what those viewing figures are. So I think that there's big potential for Messi to be the catalyst, but there's also still that caving, which is not necessarily a criticism, but it is a caving towards star power. If you give Messi a say on who else comes, if you give Messi a say on who manages the club, then eventually you get to a point where if Messi leaves, the whole thing from a football point of view can fall apart. And if we flash forwards to the year after the World Cup in America or whenever Messi retires, where does Inter Miami go? And do they return to being bottom and winless? And does everything the club has built go down? Because it's actually inevitable that when Messi leaves, the commercial numbers will dip. The season ticket sales will dip. The MLS pass numbers will dip. The social following will dip. And you have to brace yourself for that and accept that this is a bit of a false financial dawn. It might last for four or five years, but it's never going to sustain itself like this. You're going to have to ultimately reduce your prices. Your shirt sales are going to go down and there has to be a plan for that. So Messi needs to catalyze something because he's not going to be around forever. And if there is a plan to increase the league, then in the next three, four years, a bit like Saudi are doing, younger players will come and each team will benefit and grow and develop in their infrastructure. As Jimmy says, the rules will change and then we'll have a messy effect rather than just a messy surge. And I think that's the point of difference, Jimmy. It needs to be a effect, which is long-term, not just a surge, which implies more that it's a false dawn. And I think that's the key thing in all of this. But also, I want to ask you this, Jimmy, before we go. So feel free to respond to that point first. But you mentioned that you played against Lionel Messi and it would be remiss, therefore, not to talk <laughs> about the time that you didn't just play against Lionel Messi, but you tackled Lionel Messi. I did. I did. I don't know if we could roll the clip from producer Ryan, but I would love that. It just gives me instant credibility. It's really my calling card because if anybody gives me a hard time, I can be like, well, did you tackle Leo Messi in the Copa America? You did not. And I did. And so that's always a fun one to pull out. But I agree with you. That's really well said. I think that the Leo Messi surge versus the Leo Messi effect is going to be really important. And not only from an inner Miami perspective, but also Apple, MLS, uh, Adidas, uh, all of the factors and all the players that are involved in this deal to make it happen. There, well, you hope at least that there's somebody thinking what's going to happen afterwards. And and my experience with MLS. I thought they did a good job at first in terms of, hey, we got to build a league that's sustainable. We saw what happened with NASL. It folded after a while, even though they had the great Pelé and Beckenbauer and, and Cruyff and everybody that came over to, to prop up that league. And then 
that league folded. It, it couldn't su- be sustained. And so the MLS came in, they built the single entity structure. And I thought it felt smart for the first 10, 15 years till it got to a point where there was 20 teams. It started to feel more healthy. And then it just didn't seem like there was any exit strategy to that where, okay, that was just to get us going to make sure there was a nice solid foundation under everything. There's an infrastructure, there's a youth Academy. We can control a lot of the elements from point A to point B, which is now in place with their youth academies and, and also a, a third division league with MLS next and, and all this other stuff they have in place. Now, again, like I mentioned before, when are you going to take the handcuffs off and actually let this thing go and grow and, and kind of go wild a little bit, right? We've been sitting on this teenager that wants to get out and party and have some fun and, and they have to stay home with their parents and not get to go out and do anything. That's what it kind of feels like. So, so at what point are, are we going to let it go? And I think these moves like having Messi come in is a step in that direction because it has to go that, that way because of what Messi is going to bring, his gravitas and, and, and the fact that they want to be competitive, Jorge Mas and, and Inter-Miami and David Beckham. It's all great. I'm really excited. But yes, ultimately, I want to see a plan in place. And, and I'm hopeful that there are people that are in all these areas of power that are making sure that we have a nice runway as to what happens in the exit strategy. Yeah. Well, hopefully this is the catalyst for the league. And if it is, hey, you, you haven't got a better one to to get you going, have you really? I mean, just pick the greatest player perhaps that's ever, <laughs> ever played and then stick him in stick him in the league and uh, exactly there you go. Right. Get, get on with it. All you marketeers, sort yourselves out. If I can't give you a leg up <laughs> this way and you can't do anything with it, then you're all failures. So, uh, so you've got to make it happen. Gents, it's great to have you. That is uh, your debrief. As always, our thanks to Fabrizio Romano for dropping in. Remember, he'll be here every week giving us his spin on all the big transfer dealings around the world. You can find us on Fab Substack, on YouTube, and all your usual podcast platforms. Ben, to you, safe onward travels. Are you coming home soon, or are you just going to stay out there? I'm going to Chicago next, so the trip of is course. over yet. That, that reminds me of a, a song. I used to live in Chicago. I don't go there no more but that's that's a, I think that's a rugby song not a not a, a, a soccer song anyway safe onward travels enjoy Chicago Jimmy thanks so much for your company and thank you for listening we'll see you next week yeah.